everyone. Welcome back to the Redemption Tempe podcast for Redemption Women. I'm Dina Rogers, and this is part two of our gather event from October. We were continuing to hear about um, our outward focus, foster care, kinship, and adoption. And Erin interviewed our friend Jen, who is a foster mom, and just how foster, how she, she and her family were called into um, the ministry of foster care, how it's affected their family. And it was such an honest and great interview. So here is that excerpt. Hey, everyone. I'm Erin Vakurvich. Um, Kirsten, Trina, and I um, run the foster care, kinship, and adoption ministry. Um, and I have the pleasure tonight to do the interview, um, which I'm really excited for. Um, but just a couple of updates um, on what you guys have done for our ministry just in the past month. Um, it's pretty incredible. Um, you guys have donated $5,342. <laughs> so um, I did the math and I planned ahead this time. And that is 97 babysitters. So um, we are really excited. Kirsten and I are actually having to brainstorm how we're going to use all of that money. Um, but we, uh, so far, I think are dedicated to um, paying for a babysitter as well as giving families an additional gift card. So it also pays for their date. Um, and we probably will be able to roll this into next year because you guys have been so gracious. And so thank you so much. And uh, it's still open, so if anyone wants to donate, um, it's not up here, but it's the 77977 um, text to um, donate um, if you still want to do that. They'll have that open through the next gather, right, Dina? So um, thank you guys again so much. We really, really appreciate it. Um, so I have the pleasure today of interviewing Jen Hansen. Um, she works here at Tempe um, as the communication designer. Um, she's a mom of three boys, um, which is quite a feat in itself. So two twin boys, Weston and Isaac, and Maverick is the little one. Um, she's been married to her husband, Devin, for 10 years. Um, and she's a foster mom. So we're gonna get to kind of hear her story and just um, her journey through this process. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited for that. So thank you, Jen. Um, so first of all, why don't you go ahead and tell us the story of how you and Devin just kind of first discerned discern that God was calling you to foster care and to engage in this way. Sure. So my side of the story started when I was probably, I think I was 16 or 17, and my own parents decided that we were going to be a foster family. Um, so we had a handful of kids come in and out of our house while I was in high school and early college. Um, and my parents, so there's five of us total, which I'll get to in a second, but the two oldest of us, I was the oldest, and then my closest brother in age, um, my parents took us out to dinner and explained, like, you know, you guys are going to be a part of this, obviously, because you're older and you're going to be helping with the kids. And so we kind of discussed, like, the pros and cons of um, opening up our home and our lives to kids in foster care. And my dad allowed us a space to talk about the things we were excited about. He gave us room to talk about the things that we were not excited about <laughs> as far as um, 
you know, kind of the, the cons side of it. And he listened, and then he just looked at us across the table, and he said, okay, I hear your, your reasons for not doing this. Can any of you tell me a non-selfish reason not to do this? And we we're like, well, no, Father, we cannot. <laughs> so, um, but that mindset has kind of stayed with me through that. And I think, like, from that moment on, I knew, like, I wanted to be a part of foster care. My parents ended up adopting my two sisters out of foster care um, a few years later after that conversation. And this November, we will be celebrating their 15-year adoption anniversary. So that's kind of my side of the story. So when Devin and I met, like, he knew my sisters at that point. They were um, maybe six and seven, I think, around that time. Um, So... I was very upfront in the beginning of our relationship, like, hey, this is something my family has done, this is something I want to do in the future, are you on board with that? (laughs) And of course, you know, he's trying to woo the girl, so he's like, of course, baby, I'm on board with that. Um, (laughs) But then once we actually got married, we had to, you know, make that decision. Um, And we always said, like, oh, we'll have a couple kids, and then maybe we'll do foster care and adopt, but we'll, like, leave wiggle room for a fourth, and instead God was like, surprise, you're pregnant with twins a year after you've been married, and then, oh, here's another one. And so we had three kids all of a sudden, and we were like, oh, okay, should we still do this? Like, (laughs) are we still going to do foster care? But we prayed about it a lot. We attend Redemption Tempe, and obviously, like, we talk about it all the time here, so we knew a lot of other foster families. Um, But as far as, like, the timing of it, I knew from experience and watching um, some other people in um, the journey of being a foster sibling and then being someone who wanted to be a foster mom, that if both husband and wife are not on board, like it's really, really, really hard and it can be a disaster. So I knew that I did not want to move forward with this unless Devin was on the same page. So like we talked about it for sure, but I never wanted to pressure him into it and I never wanted it to be like, my decision that he was just going along with because that was just like a horrible recipe for resentment and um, not being successful um, in foster parents. Um, So it was really cool because every time that like when we went to get licensed or when we opened our license up for like a new kiddo, every single time it was Devin coming to me and saying like, hey, I've been praying about this and I think it's time to take another kiddo or hey, I've been praying about this and I think it's time for us to get licensed, which was so cool because like it was always on my heart, right? Like I grew up doing this. I knew it was going to happen eventually, but it was neat to see like, I can think of at least three or four times that that happened where Devin came to me, not really knowing that like my heart was ready and God put it on his heart. So that was just such a confirmation to me that like, okay, like, we can move forward with this even though it's going to be hard. Like, we're both on the same page. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I love the uniqueness of that story because typically it's the wife that's typically dragging the husband along. Um, And so I had um, the cool opportunity to actually teach the classes that they had to take to become foster parents and just to watch the two of them so unified in that. um, I think was just a beautiful display of how important that is, that you have to be unified in that. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, You guys went through kind of a a rougher season and kind of stepped away from foster care, Um, not fully, your license was still open, but tell us how you continue to engage um, rather than just taking a child in and and keeping them longer term. What did that look like? So we had had a um, 
difficult placement. Not, the placement itself was not difficult, just the circumstances around it. Um, the little guy ended up in the hospital, which uh, we'll talk a little bit more about later, but it had just been a really, really draining um, placement. And so we had kind of taken a break. And then we went back on the list, and two weeks later, my husband was laid off, and it was completely out of the blue. And so we're like, well, we probably shouldn't add a baby to the mix right this minute. Um, but we still wanted to be involved, and we knew, having been foster parents, how um, exhausting it is and how you just need a break sometimes. And so we decided to do um, respite, which is when you can take foster kids in for like multiple days overnight and give um, foster families a break to be able to go maybe on a vacation that the kid like can't join them for or just to have a break because it's tiring and even sometimes just to reconnect to each other as a couple to reconnect to your bio kids if um, they're in the mix. Um, and so we did that for about a year and a half um, to still stay engaged in the process. And then during that time we had um, close friends who ended up um, giving place with two little ones and adopting them and so we were kind of able to have the energy to like be a part of that and supporting other foster families, having known what it was like to be on the other side of it. Well, thank you. So I get this question a lot. Um, why would you intentionally just step into what we already know is such a broken and hard place to be with a broken system and kids that are carrying a lot of trauma and birth families thrown into the mix? Why would you intentionally step into that? It is not easy. <laughs> I think a lot of it stems back to that conversation that I had with my dad about like, what selfishly, like why would I not do it, right? But like that's not all there is to it. Like there are certainly reasons why people shouldn't or can't for the moment um, be foster parents. But um, when I think of the kiddos, it's like, okay, their hearts are just being like trampled through this process. And I can in a small way like that ends up being a big way for them, like protect them from some of that trauma and like put my heart on the line for them, um, which I cannot do on my own. Like we have an incredible support system that holds us up when we can't stand on our own. We have Jesus there, obviously. Like, and I think too, like a few years ago, if you've been around Redemption Tempe, we went through the True Story Project and we read the Bible from start to finish. And I was just blown away like over and over and over again, Old Testament, New Testament, like every story in between, like God's heart for the vulnerable. And just like reading that stuff, I'm like, how can I not? Like, yeah, my heart's gonna be broken when we love these kids and they go home, but so what? Like, I mean, I'm a grown up, like I can handle it, you know, even though it hurts and it's hard and sometimes I fall apart and I slip back into, you know, depression or whatever it is, but like in the long run, I would rather put my heart on the line for those kids to protect them and keep them safe and pour love into them during the time that they're with me than to say, no, I can't do that, it's too hard on me. Like, I, who cares if it's too hard on me? They need us, you know? I looked at Jen after Sandy was done speaking and said, you're the intercessor for these, for these kids, right? Like, you get to step in and advocate for them and love them. Um, one of the other ways um, that you get to advocate as, um, a foster parent, which isn't always talked about, but it's equally important, is for birth families. Um, and we um, here at Redemption always champion reunification first because children should be with their families and we should desire for families to be restored, right? 
Um, and we know that's not always possible, but that can be a hard thing to enter into. So how have you navigated um, interacting with the birth parents of uh, some of these kiddos that have come into your home? Yeah, so growing up around foster care, it was a very different conversation. It was very much like birth families are bad, they're doing horrible things, and we are rescuing their kids. Um, and there was no um, grace or compassion like for the bio families and just what they're going through. And through going through the training that you know you ran and we did here, like it completely changed my perspective on that. And so we always try to communicate with um, our birth families through journaling or we have a special email address that's just for them. Um, but it's really hard because <laughs> it is a lot easier to um, love these kids and feel like you're doing a good job when you're like, oh, look at me, I'm saving the children. <laughs> like, but when you start to know, get to know their parents and their families, like, you're like, oh, darn, like, you are a human <laughs> and you have a heart and you are hurting and you have sure made decisions that maybe made you unsafe to like have your kids in this moment but i see like having you know it's it's hard to villainize someone who you're starting to get to know and love and and know face to face um the little guy who we had in the hospital like i literally sat beside his mom through all this and um she she was a person and she loved her kid and um it was yeah, it was impossible not to to see her as like a human being who Jesus loved when you're sitting face to face with them. And that's hard to do because like it's a lot easier to keep them at arm's length, but that's not what God calls us to do. Can you tell us specifically a little bit more? I, I love this story um, because it involves not just Jen and Devin, but a couple of people in our community here in Tempe mm -hmm. and how they really became an advocate for this birth mom um, in just a beautiful way, and it had a really big ripple effect for yeah. people even outside of our church. Can you share that with mm -hmm. us? So this little guy, like I said, was in the hospital for about three weeks. Um, he basically, he was a newborn, and he got a, two really bad cold viruses, but he went into respiratory distress, and we had to rush him to the ER. He ended up on like a breathing tube and heavily sedated, like completely in like a medically induced coma. and. Um, his mom, who only spoke Spanish, was told, your kid has a cold and he's in the hospital. So she shows up, she got dropped off early for the visit. She comes in the hallway and peeks in the room and sees her kid, who she's told has a cold. Like, he looked, I mean, it was awful. He looked like he was dead. Like, it was absolutely traumatic. And so I just happened to be totally God-ordained, like being visited by one of my best friends, Suzanne, who's sitting right over there, who happens to be fluent in Spanish. So mom is out there in the hallway just like panicking, and I rush out to her and I say, oh, are you, you know, and I say her name, which I'm not going to say now, but, and I give her a big hug, and then I say, I, I'm glad you're here, like, please come in, come see him, like, he's okay, he's okay, and like trying to explain, and like Suzanne starts translating for me, and it was just so cool because like the hospital didn't have a translator there for her and she was told completely misinformation it was not prepared to you know see her kid like that so he was in the hospital for three weeks so for three weeks my husband and i like sat with her and like we 
have tea with her, we'd bring her a meal, and like occasionally we'd like Google translate with her. Like, <laughs> but a lot of times like we would show up to the hospital and she'd be there and there was no translator there to like give her an update on what was happening for her kids. So we had to be like, hey, you, go find her a translator. Like this is not okay, <laughs> like she needs to know what's going on. Um, but what was cool through that, like not only the support that we received through um, the church, but like the hospital staff was blown away. They were just like, we have had foster kids in here all the time. And they're like, we have never, ever seen a foster family treat a, a bio family with such compassion, like, it, and, which is not us. Like, it's totally like a God thing through us. But like, it was just neat to see that they noticed that something was so different in the way that we were interacting with her. I love that. Um, <clears throat> so I love asking this question because I think... Um, we get to see God reveal himself in different ways as we kind of have different experiences in our life. But how has God shown himself to you in new ways um, since you've started this foster care journey? And what about his character have you discovered in a new way? You gave me this question ahead of time and I still don't even know how to describe the answer. Um, I think the biggest thing is just seeing how like, we're not meant to do hard things alone. Like, he is there for us, and he puts people in our lives to be there for us. And the amount of times that people have reached out to us, like, not just when we first get a placement. Like, the little guy that we have now, we've had for three and a half months. And I still had someone, like, bring me a meal last weekend because she knew I was having a hard time. Like, because it, there's, it, it's one thing to, like, add a kid to the mix, but, like, when you're willing to enter into the brokenness of the whole story, it's like a whole different emotional ball game to like add that in. And the, the support that we've seen from our church family just like has blown me away and really in some really, really humbling ways of um, like Cindy was saying, like allowing people to intercede for you, um, being the firstborn of five, like I'm a bit of a control freak. So like God has really, really used this to humble me to allow me to accept people's help and just that I mean people want to help and it's just been really cool to see um, how many people have loved on these kids that we've had in our home not just us and we couldn't do it I don't I don't know how people do it without support and without Jesus because it's really hard and people are there which is really cool yeah I love that we um, we were talking and I've had this conversation Many, many foster parents and adoptive parents, but um, over the years seeing families do this that were believers and not believers, and I don't know how they do it without Jesus. And uh, Sandy's message was such a good reminder of that because um, you just see like, uh, like the, the family of God step into such unique and beautiful ways um, in the foster care world, right? Of bringing a meal or babysitting or uh, dropping off a coffee because you're just tired or um, we talked about this last time and we will as well, but um, just the prayer, like the intense amount of prayer that is needed for these families. Um, and that's just a display of like our greater advocate who is Jesus. Um, and so I think it's just such a beautiful picture of how that um, all works and pointing, pointing others to Christ, right? Um, Kirsten and I get to work with a lot of different groups and we um, come into the contact with different state workers and agency workers. Um, and it's always so good to hear when they say, your families are different. You do something different. And to say, well, it's because they love Jesus. Like 
they're not doing this for some selfish gain. They're doing this because God called us to love the vulnerable, and they're just answering that call. Um, and so we're just so grateful for um, Jen and her husband and all of our families um, that have um, stepped up to to do a hard thing in a very broken system um, and just to do it faithfully. Wow, it's been so good and encouraging to hear from the people in our community who have really given their lives to serving the foster care and um, adoption community. So thank you to Jen and Aaron. And then we were also able to, able to sit down with Kirsten and Aaron to hear a little bit more of their story and wanted to bring you that on this podcast as well. So join us at the table now with Kirsten and Aaron. Aaron, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and just give us some bio. Yeah, um, I am a California native, uh, moved to Arizona about 10 years ago with my husband at the time we were engaged. Um, and he actually is the, uh, I'm probably going to mess this up, the global and local missions pastor here at Tempe. Um, we have two boys, uh, Will the fourth, who is eight, and Micah, who's five. Um, yeah. Very cool. So did you guys get married here? We were living here when we got married, but we actually went back to California um, to get married because his family was there and my family was there and it was just easier. So Nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you guys landed here. Yep. How about you, Kirsten? I um, have been married to my husband, Dave, for 18 years. I'm originally from Montana. Dave's from New York, so it is a huge, the city, and so a huge clash of cultures in our family. Um, We have a seven-year-old adoptive daughter that um, is just amazing and kind of picks up the best of both of us, I think. Nice. And has she been both to Montana and New York? She has. She, we took her last October to New York, and she loved, she loved it. She's a city girl. Um, she would not sit down on the subway. We have pictures of her. She would just stand there, loved it the whole time. <laughs> We're like, please sit down. Yeah. And this past summer, we spent a month up in Montana, and she just was outside from sunup to sun out, sundown and just thrived there wow. so yeah. she's a blessed girl she's yeah we're very we're very blessed as well she's nice. pretty amazing so yeah. and I should ask you Erin do your kids like California they do they they have their mother's love for the beach so <laughs> they do yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah nice well tell us let's go back a little bit um what is your training and how did you end up working in foster care and adoption here at Redemption so do you want to start Erin sure yeah I um I kind of have always been in this type of work, um, not necessarily in ministry, but um, just in social service type of work. So um, the bulk of my work was with kiddos that have behavioral health or mental health needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that covered a variety of things from kind of the most extreme things you can think of to um, just basic needs. Um, and in that world, I um, started to encounter a lot of kids that were in the foster care system and start to really understand um, just the scope of what uh, that world looked like. Looked like, And then three years ago, came on board with Kirsten um, and started kind of this new adventure of uh, that type of work, but in a ministry setting. Um, yeah. And that has been um, a big learning curve, but a blessing, and a blessing to see the church engage um, in these hard areas. Yeah. So. I, as you were talking, I was thinking, I, I don't think we really have eyes for how big the foster care community is. 
um, I just I just think we don't notice. I think even if we see foster kids, of course we don't we can't pick them out by looking at them. Mm-hmm. So how pervasive is I mean how big is the foster care uh, community even in the greater Phoenix area? Yeah, I mean it really is in a combination of all the smaller pieces that make up this whole system. So um, the state of Arizona right now has about 14,000 kids in the foster care system, um, which is a lot. Um, Our numbers have gone down um, in the past couple of years, and I'm sure a lot of people remember the news and um, them talking about the numbers really high, but it's still incredibly high. Um, But then we have a whole different sector of – families that are raising relatives, so grandparents Mm -hmm. or aunts or uncles or cousins, um, and those kids are still caught up in the system, but um, they are not necessarily with foster families. Sometimes it's So that's why you guys added the kinship portion. That's our kinship, yeah. And a lot of times those families don't get the same um, support Mm -hmm. unless they get licensed. And so, and they're also navigating the hard pieces of this is my daughter's child or this is my, you know, cousin's child or or whomever. And so that makes it um, even uh, more of a delicate situation. And then you've got thousands of caseworkers that, you know, work hard hours and little pay, excuse yeah. me. And so um, that's, um, you know, another piece of it. And then you have all of the supporting systems. So it's a really big, big system. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of people involved in the work. And I would say even down to the church of those that um, just come in and love our families and um, like we are doing for our families through, you know, Redemption Women of providing babysitting mm-hmm. or just bringing a meal or just asking um, what they can pray for for a family. So there's a lot of pieces and a lot that goes on, you know, in yeah. this bigger picture. So. Yeah, thanks. How about you, Kirsten? Did you come straight from social work into this job or what was your journey? I did not. I have a extremely different uh, path than Erin did. Um I grew up in a family that adoption was very, very common. Um, I have cousins from India, from um, China. I have African-American cousins. I have um, my husband's brother and sister both have adopted. And so it was very normative in my family. It wasn't... On both sides, both for you and your husband. Both sides, yeah. Like like throughout all of our families. And so... um, we have a very multi-ethnic family for family reunions. And so that wasn't anything surprising to me. And so I always knew deep down that would probably be something we would do just because um, it was so normal that God creates families that way. Hmm. And so that was pretty amazing. My path um, was different than Aaron's in that I had no idea I would go into this. Like even if we adopted, this wasn't a job I was looking for. It wasn't something that I kind of even knew existed. Um, And I had done, I have worked in college athletics as an an academic advisor for high at-risk athletes. And um, I worked in a church as an admin and I have, we own a restaurant. And so all of these pieces (laughs) are just these random, random pieces. Um, But in 2000, I think it was 2012, I sent um, the senior pastor of Redemption, Tyler Johnson, an email and just said, how can I pray? Because like Aaron had said, there was this crisis point where our numbers were just out of control. And um, through a series of text messages, I got one that said, we need a director for foster care and adoption. And I had offered to help him find someone. And his text back was, do you want the job? Um, And I 
didn't really know if I wanted the job. I asked him if I could have a month to pray about it, and I prayed about it. And um, it was here at Tempe. Jim Mullins had taught a sermon and had just said what it was the first sermon of the year, and it was how you know God's call for your life. And I remember meeting him afterwards and just asking, what if it's not really something you want to do because it's so broken and it's going to be so hard, but you feel like God's calling you to this? And he asked me the question. He said, um, has anything in your life prepared you for this? And it was just as if all of the pieces just fell into place going everything that I've ever done and that God has moved me in locations and schooling and people was exactly for this. And so, so wow. I did that. I love that. So. I love that story. I, you know, as we study Hebrews this fall, we're looking at these people who maybe started in one space in their life, but just as they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus and their lives were kind of shaped by the needs around them and through the lens of the gospel, ended up maybe somewhere completely different mm. than where they started. But it's such a, it's so cool to be in a story that God is writing mm. and seeing yeah. how he gets you, you know, from college athletics yeah. to this. Like, <laughs> yeah. how cool is that? So tell me a little bit more about the church becoming involved because um, you guys work with the state. And what is that relationship like, and how did that happen? So we're part of a group of churches in the state. In 2000, I think it was 11, 2012, um, three churches um, got together, three senior pastors, and said, you know, this is what God calls us to do. We need to do something. And so they started an organization called Arizona 127, um, and it's for lack of a better word, it's an umbrella organization for churches where they um, empower and help churches to do trainings and to do um, what we would call mobilization that Erin's really connected with that she talked a little bit in Gather last week that just helps parents become prepared for being foster kids or mm -hmm. foster parents. A lot of people just think, oh, I'm gonna, I have so much love to give these kids, and they do, and that's great. Um, but when you get a kid who has had five years of trauma into your home and it's no longer, oh, I just try to get him in bed at night, but it's, it's really, really hard stuff. Um, yeah. We really work with Arizona 127 to prepare the churches, to prepare their families to do this long term, not just one time and then they're done. And yeah. so mm -hmm. our goal is to really put those together um, and empower. And it causes us to collaborate with other churches, which... Mm -hmm. um, hasn't been the trend for churches on a regular basis. And so we work very, very closely with other churches and sharing resources and sharing buildings and sharing childcare um, just to support each other um, because this is what God's called the church to do. The state was never called to do this. This is what the church should be doing. And so we've engaged in that capacity. All right, you guys, it seems to me like the work you do has this hard sad broken story that that drives that drives your work but then there's this other joyful hopeful god putting children in families and how do you straddle that how do you live in the tension of that in this work yeah i think um it's not easy um and i think that when we look at um, how God created the world, right? He create he desired for families to be whole. He mm -hmm. desired for families to flourish. 
And um, unfortunately, because of the fall, we see that there's brokenness in that, right? We see that um, when uh, mothers are in positions that they feel like they need to place a child up for adoption because they're not able to um, care for that child or provide for that child in the way that they would hope or want. Yeah. Um, or, you know, foster care situations where we see children have to be removed for certain things. And so there's so much brokenness in that because it's not the way it should be. And yet you see the beauty of God's just faithfulness to family mm. and his people and providing um, adoption, right? Providing this new family that comes and loves this child that um, isn't, you know, their blood and their skin right. and um, and they love them as their own. And I think that's such a, a beautiful picture of God's love for us, right? He talks about being adopted into the family of God, but then also – uh, that he is pressing against all the brokenness. Of, there Ugh, may be this broken yeah. um, story of this family, but I'm going to redeem this, um, and I'm going to restore this, and I'm going to make a way for that. And so um, it's hard because it's still messy, and it's mm -hmm. still um, imperfect on this side of heaven, um, but you get to see glimpses of, uh, I think, a restored kingdom and, um, and whole families, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, that. I love how you said it really, really demonstrates God's heart for the, for the vulnerable and to, and to restore what's broken and yeah. to make it whole and how he uses families to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. So, Kirsten, you not only work in foster care and adoption, but on the very personal part of your story, you have adopted a daughter. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, our story was was crazy in that um, we had been waiting for about eight months, which is it's actually a pretty short time going through all the courts and then waiting. And um, we were on vacation. And on a Thursday afternoon, we found out that her birth mom would be choosing a family that day. That evening, we found out we were the family that she chose, and then the next day, 18 hours later, we were in California picking her up. Wow. And so it was a very um, quick 18 hours, and we came back from our vacation. Nobody knew. We had a baby, um, which was rather surprising for everyone, including us. Um, and so that was, just, that was just one of those things that you now are a mom, but now you have all these, these different thoughts and these different... Um, just personal things that tug at you because every time I woke up or every time I held her, I knew that her birth mother was not holding her. Mm -hmm. And um, when her birthday comes around, I get to celebrate with her, but her birth mom doesn't. And so there is just this, um, like we talked about with, with tension, there is a tension that you live in. It's not a problem to solve. There's no problem solving in that. That's just the tension. And the yeah. beauty, I think, of... Um, she will always have two moms she is in, and I have friends that that struggle with that and say but you're her mom and I am absolutely her mom but she mm -hmm. has this beautiful other woman that her is, is her mom as well and she has David as her dad but she has this other gentleman who's her dad as well and that will always be part of her story and a valuable 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 piece of her story um, and I think when you one of the things that that we look at is that how it mirrors um, the gospel so much in that um, in that when when we got her someone else had to relinquish her and and mm -hmm. we got to be parents because of someone else's loss and I look at that in the cross where um, when 
Jesus was abandoned on the cross and let go is the only way that we could become sons and daughters in the family of God. Mm -hmm. And so every time I look at her and every time I see her, I'm just reminded that that we are all adopted and we all have that sonship and we all have those rights of being in God's family. Um, and so it's it seems like it's such a bizarrely weird piece and way of becoming a family. And yet it is, as a Christian, the most normative way of becoming a family because that's what God did for us. And that's just mirrored every day when I look at look at our family. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing it. Erin, you have some of a personal story as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I was adopted um, as well, um, like Kirsten's daughter at birth, um, and um, was raised in a time where that wasn't always normal um, mm -hmm. to tell your child that, that they were adopted. And so uh, my parents... Uh, without a lot of research that we have nowadays and trainings and all of these things, just kind of, I think, by God's wisdom, always uh, told me my story, um, the pieces that they knew. Um, and um, it was hard for me to hear that story as a child, but being a mom, um, I actually really appreciate uh, that they were um, – honest and bold in that and yeah. they said that they would lay me in my crib at night and, and tell me the story of how um, you know there was this this woman who um, had found out that she was pregnant and and wanted um, so much more than she was able to provide at the time for me and um, and how she chose them and how they had been praying and praying and praying and um, that I was the child that they had hoped for and prayed for and um and so, yeah, I grew up knowing this narrative and celebrating this idea of adoption um, and the beauty of that and the joy of that and all the waiting that my parents did and the, um, the sacrificial decision that my birth mom made. Yeah. Um, and there was times where that was still really hard um, because it felt, um, I think Satan is really good at twisting beautiful mm. things, right? And so um, these feelings of, well, why – why didn't my birth mom want me? You know, yeah. uh, why does it have to be this way? Um, and so those are things I've I've struggled with um, through throughout my entire life at different times. I think it was a really um, impactful moment that the moment I had my own son, and mm -hmm. um, I you know I'd labored with this baby for <laughs> hours, and and here he was, and holding him and looking at him and saying, I don't know how this woman ever decided to get to do this because yeah. I could never give this baby away even if I knew that was the best thing for him yeah. and realizing how sacrificial that was of her yeah. um, I think really started to soften my heart in a lot of ways um, by becoming a mom myself mm -hmm. um, and it really started to restore a lot of these lies that Satan had placed kind of in my head about what what the beauty of this really was um, and yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I actually reconnected with my birth mom a couple of years ago, um, and that has been a really cool experience. Um, I I know that not everyone gets the opportunity, um, mm -hmm. and not in the story, it's not perfect. Um, there's there's lots of uh, broken pieces still in that, but her and 
my relationship um, is is healthy and growing, and it's really fun to see how God has allowed that to happen um, all of these years later. Um, and yeah, I'm just really grateful for that. I think um, walking that journey has helped soften my heart's my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have one heart in many <laughs> in many areas where you know it can be it can be easy to be angry at birth parents yeah. um, or to judge them where they come from, or it can be easy to get frustrated with the system. Um, because it is broken, um, but I think God has been really patient in showing me through my own journey of um, what grace looks like um, and where he um, is present in all of the things that we have no idea, you know, that he's moving in. So, yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it. You guys, we never have ended a podcast this way, but um, let's pray for foster care and adoption. I'm just so grateful for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Kirsten and Aaron and their stories and how you are such a good author. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you that we can trust you for the hard and messy middle of our stories because we put our hope in you. I pray that you would bless their work, that you would bless the families, that you would continue Mm -hmm. to provide homes for family for children um, so that they can know and love you thank you for the work of the church um, in in being your hands and feet and loving like you do help us to do that well Mm. thanks for loving us in jesus name amen amen well thank you so much to both of you and thank you for listening yeah, um, thank we you. We'll see you guys next time when we gather again around our podcast table and immerse ourselves in God's story and disciple one another towards Jesus. Mm-hmm.